Good morning. My name is Ellen Avance. Uh, our scripture reading today is found in James 5, verses 7 through 11. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the faith of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Eleanor. And Dorothy, everybody was calling you Dot when they were telling me about you. It's just, what a wonderful thing to have your birthday today. I would like to promise all of you, if you're faithful to coming to Lake Avenue, you'll, you'll grow to be at least 100 years old. I'm always looking for some reason to get you to keep coming back to church, right? So, Dorothy, we're just so glad to celebrate with you today. I love your sweatshirt, and it's just so good. Today also is Memorial Day, and I really, I'm surprised, I didn't know if anybody would be here. Jeremy's right, only the good-looking ones, I see it, only the good-looking ones came. I, all the others are at Green Oak, right? That's where they are. And Memorial Day, you don't tell them that, though. Yeah. Um, Memorial Day, um, I have been wondering, 120 years of history, I've been wondering whether we have had people who are a part of the life of our church, who have actually given their lives uh, in service to our country and to us. And I'm, I want to collect the names for next year's Memorial Day if the Lord tarries. So if you know of names of people in our congregation who have actually given their lives in service, will you send them to me uh, via email or somehow get those names? We want to begin to collect those and to remember. This is such an important day for me personally. Um, most of you know um, my family is an Air Force family. See, Mara, uh, you have an Air Force family here. My father and his three brothers were in, the old, in World War II in the old Army Air Corps. My, my father flew missions. He was a radio operator in the European theater. And my Uncle Frank was a, a pilot flying in the Asian uh, theater. Uh, my brother was also an Air Force person, so I'm kind of out of it when I uh, have family gatherings. But all of them made it back. All of them made it back, and yet so many, so many have not. And this is the weekend that, that we remember and, and give thanks. So we want to be sure to do that. Well, this week's Bible text is one I've been thinking about uh, for a while, and it actually brings us to a topic that I've sort of touched on in a lot of different messages I've done in the book of James. Visitors, we've been going through the book of James all year here at Lake Avenue Church. And the, the issue really is this. Why is it that Pastor James of the First Church of Jerusalem, why is it that he is so fervent about, and he speaks so strongly about many issues that a lot of us think they're small things? I, I pointed this out. Well, it's not murder. Why is he making such a big deal? And, and really making a big deal out of things that we think aren't all that important. Things like listening. Things like how we speak, 
the importance of just welcoming uh, people. He has uh, one section where he tells us to be open to reason. And remember the message I did a few weeks ago, that how important it is for every decision we make in our lives to surrender that to the will of God, writing DV, Deo Valente, <laughs> if God wills, this is what I'm going to do. Now, now uh, for those who are new to the faith, I could understand it if you say, wait a minute, um, God is a big God. He's the creator of everything. He must only care about big things. You know, like maybe war uh, and, and murder and, and genocide, but not about all these, these little things. And I think Pastor James would say, yes, God does care about those things. And will make sure that justice is done where abuse has happened or genocide has taken place. God does care. But he keeps saying throughout the letter of James... Those things that you and I sometimes think are small things are not really small things in the eyes of God. Now, one of the all-pervasive lessons that you have in the book of James, and actually you have it in much of the Bible, is that those big decisions that actually shape the direction of our lives are often not those, those ones that we think are the spectacular or huge decisions that we make. Sometimes the things that shape the direction, whether I go this way or that way, away from God or toward Him, are things that seem at the moment to be very small things. And, and I'll tell you why. Here's how Christians, here's how we look at the world. You and I believe that a billion years from now, many billions of years from now, you and I will still exist. Do, do you believe that? We're made in God's image. And so a billion years from now, you will still be. What, what kind of person are you going to be? And the Bible says that that person that we are going to be in eternity, that character is shaped by every decision that we make, moment by moment and step by step. So that sometimes the small things to us set a direction for our lives that at the end of our lives will make us what we are. Now, James today takes up a matter of us learning to be patient. And, and with great, great uh, strength, he says, the judge over all judges, God himself, stands beside us to make sure that we learn to be patient and to wait upon him. And many people might say, why would a big God care about something like that? And today I'm hoping that as we look at just these five verses in the book of James, you're going to see how important it is. Many Bible scholars tell us that these five verses, James 5, 7 through 11, are less weighty than the rest of the book of James. And I have come to find that that is not the case. In fact, I find it to be one of the most significant. And in it, what James and what the Bible is teaching is this that one of the surest signs about whether your faith in God is real is going to come out in whether you are able to be patient. And that that patience is always going to come out in the way that you speak. Ready to think about it? I want to meddle today, I think. Okay, today, what small things does God's Word warn us about today? And if you have your Bible, look, two commands that are there. Verse 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And then down in verse 9, don't grumble. 
Now, as I've often told you, when I'm studying a text all week, I talk about this text. So this week I've been asking so many people here at Lake Avenue Church, uh, do you ever ask God to make you more patient? I got one nope. Most have said something like, quickly, just quickly. Well, I've learned not to pray for that. It just shows me that people at Lake Avenue Church have already gotten this, this biblical message that us becoming patient somehow is tied to us going through trials in our lives. And we don't want those trials. Do you remember I did a whole message on this from James 1, 2 through 4? That, that, that God's work, He'll send trials into our lives that if we handle them right, will eventually end up in perfecting us, making us what we long to be and what God created us to be. So that patience must be endured. You must let patience have its perfect work so that you can become what, what God has made you to be. All of us understand this. I mean, anybody who's ever done any sports or athletic events, you understand this. You know, a marathon runner. If you're going to be running a, a marathon in a, in a month and you go out and run and you, after about two miles, you say, ah, I don't want to do any more of this. I'll be ready, though, when it comes. I'm telling you, if you're only going to make two miles now, when that marathon comes, you're not going to make 26 miles. So, so physically, the patience to keep letting things go are, are, are things that make us strong. And God says spiritually the same thing is true. So James 1, he talks about that today when we come back to James chapter 5, he actually is addressing patience's opposite. He makes us think about impatience and how impatience destroys our lives and actually destroys people around us. So the heartbeat of this message is learning to wait upon God. James uses several words in his own language. He was writing in Greek in James chapter 5 for patience. And if you have your Bibles, just look and see the way that he talks about it. Sometimes the words come out as steadfastness, you know, strength to keep going, endurance, I don't know what you have in front of you, uh, the ability to stand firm, some translations have, uh, the ability to have established hearts, he says. And about Job, he says perseverance. So here's what we've got to be clear about. Patience is important to God. And I've written it down so that you can maybe understand why. When you are patient, you show that you believe that God is present and that he is at work. This is what we call providence. Do you believe that? That God is present in your life. And that when things happen, he is at work through what is, is transpiring. And, and we believe that even if things happen to us that we don't quite understand. Because of that, patience, being able to wait upon God, is one of the surest evidences that your faith truly is in God. On the other side, impatience is perhaps as clear evidence as you can possibly find that you're really not trusting God. And now this comes out in so many ways. Sometimes it comes out in us not quite trusting his plan. So something's happened. See if this happened to you in your life and you say, I, I don't want that to happen. So you decide you've got to help God out. Uh, much more, I think, for churchgoers. It, it comes out in this timing problem. Well, all right, I know God's doing it, but he's got to do it faster than he's doing it now. And uh, we say, oh, I'm, in, I'm impatient about how slow this is going. I've got, I've got to go faster. Now, you've got to remember that you and I come to God by placing our faith in Jesus. We give our lives to Him. 
And, and you and I walk with God by having these intentional acts of faith, of, of, of trusting Him. So I'll tell you that whenever we get irritated inside, frustrated inside, we cannot wait, it is evidence that we're not really trusting God at all. So you can see, uh, as a measure of your walk with God, about whether you are patient or impatient. Now, here's, here's the question. All of us have times where we feel impatient, right? Okay. No, I had one no. <laughs> I'll call you to repentance really soon. Uh, <laughs> the question that I have had is, how can we determine when that impatience is actually becoming a spiritual problem? So I, I've written this down too. How can we determine when those times when we feel a bit anxious is really becoming something that's an obstacle to our walk with God? And James says, you can detect that faithless impatience is becoming a cancer in your soul when you see it coming out through your mouth in the form of grumbling. Now, the whole of Scripture tells us how important words are. God created by speaking. And one of the greatest gifts that God has given to you and me is this incredible ability to communicate through actually using words to, to express ourselves. Yet through, through speech, we're able to tell people about Jesus and give witness to Him. Through our speech, we can do what I'm doing right now and, and seeking to teach what God's Word has to say. Through our words, we can really lift up and, and, and bring healing to people as our words are used to, to build people up. So it's a tremendous gift. Words are, are tremendous stewardships that God gives to you and me. Now the other side of this, as, as Solomon would say, in the tongue, through our words, we have both the power of life and of death. And so what James is really saying is this, that our, uh, what's happening inside of us, our impatience, comes up and out of our mouths, that our mouths are, are like a, a sewage pipe. I know that's not a very attractive image. So I put a picture up here so that you won't forget this point. I know it's a disgusting thought. I, I just know it. But still, just think about it. He says that inside these things that are happening that are, are wrecking our own lives, but it comes up and out through our mouths and it does destruction to the people around us. It is one of the surest signs of what I talked about a few weeks ago. We're supposed to be people who follow Jesus and our lives are for others. My life for you. One of the surest signs that my life is a my life for me is grumbling. Now, i got to say this to you. I don't think that by grumbling... The Bible is talking about speaking honestly about the difficulties we're going through and the trials that we're going through. I think that sort of honest sharing of the things that we're going through is a part of any close relationship. It's, a, it's, a, and it's an important part of a marriage. Uh, in fact, so many wives tell me, I'm not going to look at Chris right now, so many wives tell us that our husband, her, their husbands don't say enough. We don't open up enough of what's inside. Such an important part is to share what's really there. It's an important part of a friendship. When a person opens up what's deep inside, you know that there's a trust in that relationship. It's an important part of, of a family. Uh, parents uh, often are most concerned when they feel like their children are beginning to clam up and there's a whole part of their lives that are not coming out. It's an important part of our church. Uh, how else do we know how to pray for one another? And the Bible calls us to carry one another's burdens. 
How can that happen unless we share? So the question is, how can we tell the difference between sharing trials and, and grumbling? And the only thing that I can tell you is, I think we all know already. Because we've experienced it or we've engaged in it. He's talking here about a spirit of, of constant complaining. It's not looking for prayer, it's looking for pity. He's talking about those times when we complain and all we want to do is let everybody else know how busy I am. Oh man, it's so, how, how awful that boss is that I have. How rotten I think that song was that Jeremy led. I could go on and on. I could do a whole sermon about just this part of it. But I'm sure you and I know what James is referring to. And with one phrase in verse 9, with one phrase, he gets at a particularly dangerous part of the grumbling. And that is we destroy those who are closest to us. Look at that phrase in verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. Now, my wife Chris is sitting on the front row, so I'll use her as a sermon illustration, and I didn't even ask you if I could. So, here we go at it. Chris has taught me a lot about this. I began to recognize, we've been married 37 years, almost. I began to recognize a number of years ago that she didn't criticize me or complain about me very much, though there's a lot to complain about. And um, I asked why, and do you remember this point, Chris? She, she pointed out to me that the relationship that is closest, that is the most important one for her, is this relationship. Her, her relationships with, with, with her husband and with her children, with her closest friends, are the closest relationships. So she is most careful about using words to destroy those relationships. I tell you, I think there is so much wisdom in that. I've wanted to adopt that also personally because the opposite is what we're tempted to do. You get into a, a close relationship and often we just take that relationship for granted. And so we'll keep things to ourselves when, when it comes to somebody that's di distant from us. But when it comes to those closest to us, we'll just use our words and do all sorts of destructive things. And James says, don't do that. Use your words intentionally. Yes, sometimes to correct, but always to build up because words can destroy important relationships. So James says impatience begins to take root in our inner beings and it comes out through our mouths in attacking people. And, and what he's talking about is finding fault with people all the time, nitpicking. We might say, why would a big God care about stuff like that? It, it's small stuff. Why would he sweat the, uh, sweat the small stuff? And God would say, it's not small stuff. It's toxic. It, it destroys your own inner being, the shalom that God... God loves you more than you love yourself. Amen. Will you just mark that down? And God doesn't, didn't create us to be people who are constantly frustrated and, and, and complaining. And He says it not only destroys you and the shalom that I want you to have, it will destroy the relationships that I want you to have. It will go into your being and eat you up. It will come from the inside to the out. It will take over our hearts and turn us into angry and destructive people. There is nobody who understood this better than C.S. Lewis. He wrote a whole book that has this at the heart of it. It's his classic book, The Great Divorce. Do you know that book? Well, not one, two. I won't have you vote. 
This is a fictitious story about a man, you've got to think about it, uh, who is given a chance, a visitor, who's given a chance to leave hell and go to heaven to see if it's as great as everybody said it is. And there's a busload of them, a busload of them that are going, and they're all very insubstantial. They're ghosts because they've given up the weightiness that God intended people to have. But as they get to the other side, um, to heaven, each one of them meets some person from their past who really wants them to stay there in heaven, which in Lewis's fiction is still open to them. But eventually in that encounter, what comes out is the very thing that kept them from heaven in the first place and which hasn't changed in their inner beings. So the question is always there, what could possibly keep a person from wanting to stay in heaven and to go back to hell? With incredible insight, Lewis lets us know know that the reason is not because Heaven isn't infinitely better than hell. It is. The reason is this. That they, the, the, each one of them had become so self-obsessed and hateful of a God who might require something of them. You know, ask them to change their ways. That they would rather spend an eternity in hell with the only comfort that they have is their own self-justification. Now, near, as you get near the end, this one visitor... Um, looks around heaven and he notices that all of his other all the other people are going back to the bus to head back to hell and uh, then there was one more woman who comes up and what she did was uh, she was complaining about things complaining about things and uh, at this uh, the visitor's guide a man named George MacDonald who's the Scottish preacher and and the great influence in Lewis's life he brings him into his book George MacDonald is questioned by the visitor why, why would something that small keep her out of heaven? I mean, it's not murder. It's just a, a bit of complaining. And, and Lewis makes the point that James makes right here, that that grumbling is evidence of a woman who has become so obsessed with herself that she can have no love for God or for anybody else. And so here's what he writes. It's so insightful. Hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others. But in in the beginning, you're still distinct from your complaining. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop. But there comes a day when you can no longer. There will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, just the grumble itself, going on forever like a machine. It's not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. So so it brings me back. In the Bible, these things that seem like small things send us in a direction in our lives. And in this one, it's, it's so interesting. So that at one point, we grumble about something and we think, I shouldn't do that so much. But eventually, it becomes so much a way of life that we become the grumble. No, no longer somebody who grumbles and change, but I'm the grumble myself. And we know that sort of thing. We see it happening sometimes where every word you know to expect from a person is just complaining. It's not the way God created people in his image to live. And God's call upon you and me is to learn to trust him, to learn to wait upon him. In a word, what this message is really about and why James is writing so forcefully here is this, God wants you to be content.
Content with Him as your God. Content with what you have. Content with who you are. Content not, not only because the circumstances change, but content because your trust is in the God who loves you with an everlasting love. So that's what this is about. Now, uh, as, as you think about this, there are all sorts of questions that come up, aren't there? Uh, they might, Does this mean uh, that I just always have to keep my mouth shut even if I see things that are wrong? Uh, does this mean I sit back and do nothing? Uh, what does this mean? And James, it's so insightful, just five verses. But he says, well, okay, let me just take that on really quick. And it still teaches us now, so much later from when he wrote. He says, I'll give you three teachers. Three teachers. Uh, verse 7, see how the farmer waits. Uh, verse 10, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And then verse 11, you have heard of Job's perseverance. All right, three teachers. Teacher one, a farmer. Uh, we don't have many farmers here at Lake Avenue Church. But I'm sure we understand what he's getting at here. In, in first century Israel, when James wrote, uh, the farmer would plant his crop in the summer season, and then he would have to wait for the rains to come in the autumn. So do you see it? The, the farmer had to be faithful to do what he had been called to do as a farmer. He had to till the soil. He had, he had to plant the seed. He had to get rid of the weeds. He had to be faithful to that. But there was a part of this whole thing that was outside of his control. He had to wait for God to do his work to bring in the rain. Um, as he waited, he faced all sorts of obstacles, right? The birds would come in and try to take, He had to work on that. Weeds, he had to get rid of it. So he had a responsibility to be faithful in the midst of that. But there were parts of it that he could do nothing about. So, so worrying about those things, becoming anxious or irritated about things he could do nothing about, that was not his job. He was to trust God to do his work in his time. James says, that's what it's like. Be faithful to God. Do the things he's called you to do. And those things outside of your control. Learn to wait upon the Lord. Lesson number two, the prophets. Now, I've written this down so you can see it. I think the prophets are so important to us because they make it clear that the kind of patience that James is talking about isn't the same thing as just sitting back and saying or doing nothing. It's not just looking out there and there are all sorts of wrongs happening in our, in our family or in, or in our community or in our world. Oh, no, I'm not supposed to complain. I won't say anything. Have you ever read the prophets? <laughs> Just go back and read the book of Amos. It's not very long. Read about what Elijah did. Read what Isaiah and Jeremiah did. And you'll see they, they thundered against the evils in their day. They were persecuted many times because they wouldn't just sort of stick a sock in their mouth and say nothing. What a prophet was is one who spoke in the name of God. And that's what James says. They spoke in the name of the Lord. And he's telling us that you and I, as followers of Jesus, stand in that same tradition. That, that we are to stand when we see wrongs in our world and speak against them. We are to stand when we see wrongs in our world and when we have resources to try to make a difference, to address the issues of injustice and poverty that happen. That's a part of what it means. The, the prophets were radical about doing that and calling people to change. And James calls you and me to do the same. So you see, learn from the prophets. 
Refusing to grumble doesn't mean that you shut your mouth all the time. It's an important lesson to learn. And then three, learn from Job. You can almost imagine you thinking, oh no, I don't want to learn from Job. I know, what, I know what his life was like. Even people who almost never go to church know what Job's life was like. So what he tells us is the kind of patience that he wants us to have is what he saw developing in, in Job. And as I look at it, it means that patience does not mean sort of the stoic indifference that says, I'm not going to feel anything. I'm not going to share anything because Job went through great, great agony. You know, the pain that he experienced was enormous and he was willing to share that both with God uh, and with the friends, so-called friends around him. So it cannot be that patience means that you never share when you're really hurting or that you never ask the question why. The point is this, that even though we're asking those questions and many times there are things that happen in our lives that we just can't understand, we continue to persevere. That's the word that he uses. And he says, now that you look back, Job was able eventually to see that God is compassionate, that he is loving, that he knows what he's doing, that there's more happening in the midst of that difficulty than you and I often can see. That's what we're to learn. You have seen, verse 11, what the Lord finally brought about. And, and the word perseverance that we learn from Job, such an interesting word. It was, it, Greek is what James was writing in. And the word means the ability to continue going on because we do believe that there is a greater purpose. We believe that there is a goal that we want to come to. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus, you and I can do this better than anyone can do because we believe that God really is. God has a purpose for all that happens. We, we saw it in the cross, right? We said, it made no sense, the sinless Jesus being on a cross. And yet we know now that there was a greater purpose. That salvation would, for you and me would be impossible apart from the pain that he suffered. Knowing that and knowing that God is and that God is at work should make us be able to say, Lord, sometimes I can't see what you're doing, but I, I trust you. And, and sometimes I do think we need in prayer simply to come to God and say, and say I feel like it's too much. I, I felt like that in my, my life. I'll just share that with you. I, I've talked with you about it before. When death comes into the equation, when my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, when, when our daughter died in infancy, when my brother was killed by a drunk driver, you look at those and as a preacher, I, I could get up here and rant and rave, but deep inside of my soul, it makes no sense at times, right? So there is a place to come to God and say, I, I don't understand it. And, and I've written it just so that you can think and chew on this. I am convinced that God does not mind us asking why. He doesn't want us to bottle up our sufferings, our doubt and our questions any more than Job did. Any more than Jesus did. You remember Jesus asked that question, my God, my God, why? It was a part of the honest agony of the cross. He knew he would bear the sins of the world on that cross, but he also knew that God was doing a greater work that could only happen through that cross. 
What God asks you and me to do is to learn to persevere and to continue to trust Him in the midst of those times. He wants us to remain in the faith and to live for Him because we know that there must be something that God is working that is in perfect harmony with who He is. And at, at, at the end of the day, we'll see it, that God is loving and compassionate, just as Job did. Those are three teachers. Now, the last issue. I've been asking, uh, do I have any suggestions for you about how we can move from impatience toward greater patience, toward the inability to wait, to learn to wait on the Lord? I'll just tell you, it's a lifetime, isn't it? And we have to come back again and again, and probably the pastor should preach many messages like this one to remind us, no, learn to wait upon the Lord. This matter of waiting on the Lord fills Scripture. But, but I, I, I'm going to give you at least three three. Uh, pieces of advice, directives that I want you to consider. Today as you've gathered, I want you to do a heart and mouth check. So, I found that in the Bible to gain victory over things that are going wrong in our hearts, sometimes we need to stop for a while and examine what's happening in our hearts and then call it what it is. Uh, To call it what it is and say, Lord, I know that's wrong. That isn't the way you made me to be. Is, is so much a part of our healing and remaking. When we call it what it is, we can begin to pray about it. We can begin to turn it over to Him. So do you look in your heart and do you see some of the seeds of impatience growing in your heart? Have you even begin to, begun to sense that they're coming out through your mouth in, in complaining and grumbling? And if you're not sure, ask, ask a family member. <laughs> As I said, those closest to us will know. Uh, Do it in a non-defensive way, though. You've got to be able to receive it. So first, today, I I just pray that you would ask God to show you parts of your heart uh, that have become impatient, filled with worry. Two, then pray specifically about that and fervently about that area of your life. I find that impatience is so deceptive that, that, boy, we need God's help and God will help you. He gives himself to you. Uh, Pray specifically, Lord, that's not the way that I'm supposed to think all the time. I call it Eeyore Christianity. You know, woe is me. It's always so bad for, for me. Pray that God will replace that with faith. And I, I think especially from the message I've done today, we need to pray as King David prayed. God set a watch on my lips. God set a watch on my lips. I pray that all the time because I use so many words to talk to you. Lord, may they be words of healing. May they be words of reconciliation and not words of destructiveness. Pray that God would set a watch over your lips so that the grumbling will change and flow over into gratitude and praise. And then third, as you're praying, pause sometimes. And and consider what you believe as a Christian, that you and I have a much longer view of our lives than the rest of the world. I really understand it when a person who doesn't know Jesus becomes very uh, uh, impatient and just cannot wait. Why? Because they just don't know if there's anything beyond this world. But we do. And James drives this home. 
You see in verse 7, he says, be patient until the Lord's coming. Most people in our world can't wait. They feel like they have, Dorothy, a hundred years or less. I was going to say 80, except now that I've come to Southern California, people live so long. But even then, 100, 105 years, if that's all there is, then when the hard times come now, we want heaven right now. We're not going to be patient and wait. But Christians, we believe that Jesus is going to come and that that's not going to be the end of things, but the continuation of things. That as I said, we believe that a billion years from now, we will still be. And that changes everything. If you and I really believe that Jesus is coming, then we're able to wait. So James drives it home twice. Verse 7, be patient until the Lord returns. Verse 8, don't grumble. Be patient because the Lord's coming is near. And that changes everything about this world, doesn't it? It means that those things that we're impatient about, they're not worth being impatient about. A few weeks ago, I did that message on, on how we view our time. And I said over our time, we should always put, if God wills. And if we really believe that there is an infinite amount of time ahead of us, then it's easy to give each moment to the Lord. You see, it changes that, our stewardship of time. Last week, I did a, a message on our possessions. If we really believe that material things are temporary things, and, and that they can be used for eternal things, Do you see how the coming of the Lord and the eternity that's in mind transforms those times when we complain about our lack of possessions? He is coming, James says. So so if you feel like your colleague next to you is is getting ahead when you should be, you're not going to have to grumble about that. If you feel like your boss is mistreating you, you can speak up about it, but you don't have to sit there and be irritated and complain and grumble about it. Because God will make sure that justice is done. And if the complaint is that the pains that you're feeling in your body, He will heal your pains. If you feel that it's just overwhelming, I feel these anxiety attacks that are so common for so many of us, He says, listen, learn to stop. And to know that this isn't the end of things. But there's something much greater to happen. So so the last question that James forces you to ask yourself in this text is do you believe that Jesus will return? Do you believe that or not believe it? I know we talk so little about that in our 21st century churches. I think we're almost embarrassed about it. I tell you it's something to rejoice in. We can hold on to this. We we know that there was an empty tomb, so there's a life beyond this life. We know the witness of Scripture, that this life is not all that there is, so that we really do believe that a billion years from now, we're going to be, and we're going to be in the presence of God. What kind of person are you going to be? Do you see where the small things aren't small things? It's that decision, am I going to trust God or am I going to complain? Am I going to wait upon him or am I going to be impatient? Send you in a direction, one way or the other. Small things are not small things. Those decisions are making you what you are going to be when you stand in front of the Lord. You remember what Jesus said, he who is faithful in those small things will become the one who is faithful in much. So I tell you, on the authority 
of God's word. Be patient and don't grumble until the coming of the Lord. Be patient and don't grumble for the Lord's return is near. And live to his glory. Amen. Amen.